Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learned a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. What's going on, people? It's Trent McClellan, and uh, it's another episode of The Generators with that same person that I just mentioned, Trent McClellan. Of course, it would be me. I hope you're doing well. Happy Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday. And if you're not listening to it on Monday, happy day of the week. You know, whatever day of the week that happens to be for you. I hope uh, hope it finds you well and good and uh, that things are all right. If you listen to the last episode of the podcast, uh, I had a bunch of folks who were kind enough to email, <clears throat> excuse me, who were kind enough to email in a um, a story or traumatic event in their life that uh, they think kind of shaped their lives in some way and kind of steered them in a certain direction. And uh, I read a bunch of those and they were very, very... Um, what can I say? There are some really powerful stories in there and people who... Um, Obviously, I've been through quite a lot and came with the other side of it. So um, thank you for sharing those. That was uh, incredibly brave and vulnerable, and I really, really appreciate it. Just reading them myself was uh, was a, a pretty moving thing, but I know I got a lot of feedback from people saying how much it, uh, it helped them too. So thanks so much for that. This week, we switch gears, though, and we go back to the original version of the podcast, where it's just me doing a rambling thing like this for a little bit, and then I have an amazing guest. So this week's guest is uh, my good friend, Mr. Dave Nystrom. Now, Dave has, um, we've been friends for quite a long time, uh, met doing stand-up. I don't know how many years ago it was, but uh, we met quite a, quite a few years ago, and I've just kind of seen him move off to Los Angeles and and do his thing down there. And we've it's one of those guys that when you first meet, you just kind of hit it off with right off the bat. And... Uh, we we kind of became instant friends almost. We kind of had the same sense of humor. And when I first had the idea of, of doing this podcast, I really just envisioned myself talking to buddies, talking to friends for the most part. And then I thought, well, what about just kind of branching out and reaching out to folks that you don't know as well? So it's kind of, that's now become the version of the podcast that you listen to because you subscribe. See, I slipped that in there how you subscribe to the podcast and then you just get automatic updates every time a new episode drops every Monday. Um, but, um, Dave was one of the folks that I had on my list right away. And this is one of the earlier podcasts that I did. Actually, I just kind of, uh, have had it in the can until now. We actually recorded this episode at a Denny's in the Northeast part of Calgary. Fact. Um, Dave was super busy running around and he's like, man, I have a, I have this block of time. 
Um, but can we come closer to where I'm going to be at? And I'm like, no problem. So I was like, okay, screw it. Let's go to Denny's. And it actually works out. It actually, um, it actually sounds okay. You hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background, but, uh, other than that, you can hear us clear as a bell and we, it's hilarious because we're both giants. Uh, I'm six, three Dave's probably six, four, six, five. So you have two giants sitting down in the middle of a Denny's with microphones talking back and forth. And I don't, I'm pretty sure people who are around customers didn't know what was happening. They have, they're like, is this a radio program? What's, and meanwhile, we just finished a breakfast. Like we ate breakfast and then we sat there and talked for an hour and a bit. So, um, it was a little bit of an odd situation, but it really worked and it comes across as pretty natural. So I, I, I like this one a lot. And, uh, we had a great conversation, um, talking about the industry and um, the business and the creation of comedy and the work that's needed to do it. So if you have an interest in that kind of thing, this is definitely the episode for you. And um, yeah, always great to talk to Dave because he, he lived in Los Angeles for such a long time. I kind of didn't get to see him a whole lot over the last bunch of years, but uh, it's kind of cool now that he's back in Canada. And um I got to see him a whole bunch. I got to see him last night, actually. I was just at a at an, an open mic thing, and, and he was there, and we were talking and getting caught up on what's going on with the other guys. So it's uh, it's always nice when you can do that. One of the challenges when you do stand up, um, excuse me, <clears throat> is that you are on the road so much, and some of your good friends who are comedians are also on the road a lot. So quite often, you just don't get to see them as much as you used to. That's part of the... Um, uh, challenge of working, I guess, and and having uh, a job that takes you all over the place. So we uh, we don't get to see each other as much as we would like, but uh, but now we're living in the same city. So I'm hoping that it'll do that until September when I'm not living here anymore for a while. But uh, up to that point, we uh, hope to see a lot more of him. He's a good dude. I think he goes about um. He goes about his business the right way. He's a family guy, too, on top of that. He's married to a great woman, Natasha, who's been super supportive of his career and what he wants to do. And he has four beautiful children on top of that. And he carts them around this country and the United States of the America. And, uh, and now they're settling in Calgary for a while. So it's kind of great to have them back. But he's, um, he's a solid dude. He's a hard worker. And uh, he was one of the first guys that I talked to who I think gave me that first real insight about uh, how it's about you. Your career is about, in terms of work ethic and perseverance and drive and all that, It's he was one of the first people that I ever talked to, I think, who gave me that insight about uh, just putting your head down and, and working and uh, not coming up with every excuse in the book not to uh, not to do the work that you know you're supposed to do. And that uh, that the original talk actually came from him, I think, many, many, many years ago, probably on our way to some horrible, horrible road gig, which is just a necessity when you start to stand up. You just that's a thing you have to do is go to rooms and try and make people laugh who don't want to laugh. That's a thing. Believe it or not, people who pay money to go to a show and go, I don't want to be entertained, but I have paid to be entertained. I'd like to see you try, pal. That's a thing. And the rooms are horrible. The sound's not good. The stage is not good. The lighting is poor. They may not have paid to get in, so there's no value on the show itself. Oh, it's a lovely thing. And uh, if you survive that, 
and uh, you can uh, maybe forge a little bit of success in this business at some point. But that's where it's going to start for most people. And uh, it'll go on way longer than you want it to. And it could come back at any moment. You know, that's just the way it is. So, um, yeah, so I, that's where uh, Dave and I, uh, I think, first met doing those shows and traveling around. And it's one of those things, you know, when you spend a lot of time in a car with someone like that, you uh, it can go one of two ways. You can either uh, hate that person at the end of it <laughs> or you can you can uh, become really good friends. And I'm lucky to say that I've it's usually gone that way for me where I've ended up with a, a good friend after a, a few days on the road and driving and you talk about everything under the sun and you uh you develop a connection with someone so um that was a this interview is an example of such a thing um all these years later and then you you're, you're amazed at how much time has passed since you first met you know <clears throat> the years just kind of fly by when you're um got your head down and people are in different areas of the world doing their thing and then uh, and you meet back up so yeah i was really grateful to have dave on there um he uh like i said straight guy Awesome guy, straight up guy, um, super cool, and I think uh, is uh, still destined for many amazing things in this racket called comedy. Anyway, um, so that's coming up this uh, this interview with Mr. Dave Nystrom, and um, I don't know what else I got going on. I got I'm going to be dates. I got Austin, Texas, coming up in July, the 14th and 15th at the Velveeta Room. You can go to their website. I think there's tickets available for that and uh in august i'm going to be in stephenville at their arts festival on august 9th tickets are available for that the show is at the arts and culture center and um yeah so i'm uh i'm excited but i got a bit of downtime now so i'm going to kind of enjoy it and relax and get a little recharged and come back at it so uh yeah i'm excited so anyway thanks a lot for listening i really appreciate it don't forget to subscribe so then you just get the automatic uploads of them boom it's just there if you have the uh, app on your phone it's like bam there you go new episode of the generators and you can listen in while you do your thing every uh every morning or afternoon whenever you want to do it it's that simple and it's free that's so cool how, how awesome is that just free stuff here take it run with it do what you want you know that's pretty sweet um have a fantastic week, and I hope you enjoy this uh, this chat with my man, Dave Nystrom. That was recorded, yes, in a Denny's, okay? In a Denny's, in a booth in a Denny's. That's how that's how raw, uncut, and, and ear-to-the-ground this podcast is. It was done in a Denny's where real people live and eat. Yeah, okay? So take that. So here it is, Mr. Dave Nystrom. Baby got them open all over town Strictly bitch you don't play around Cover much ground Got game by the town Getting paid is a forte Each and every day To play away I can't get her out of my mind I think about the girl all the time East side to the west side Pushing fat rides It's no surprise She got tricks in the Now you're getting this all right, good. We've just been talking about. I'm here. We're here at a, we're here at a Denny's in Calgary. This is when you know, Dave, that you've made it as a comedian in Canada. Denny's at 9 a.m. on a Thursday. Denny's 9 a.m. Loud people behind us talking. It's. I feel like we're at a uh, something legit about this. Something that feels legit makes it feel real. Old school. It's like Cantor's Deli in the 50s. 
<laughs> Sinatra. Yeah, we'll get more rice. Uh, pastrami. Be great. Uh, ever thought about how many? Jerry me- Vale. What? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about how many meals you've had alone as a comedian? Like on my drive here, I was thinking, man, I've eaten a lot of meals by myself in I- restaurants. Yeah, I you know I tend to uh, bring them to my room now to hide my sadness. <laughs> You're just like I don't want someone to think I'm a loser. <laughs> Those are part people don't realize as comedian. Uh, uh, I'm with comedian Dave Nystrom, by the way, a funny guy at a Thunder Bay, Ontario, uh, and I've known him for a long time. So uh, it is it is a hilarious thing when you think about just how abnormal our lives are, but become it becomes normal because you just do it repeatedly over time. But then when you mention it to a normal person, you're like, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Like, you're, I guess people who do sales or whatever, like, they would travel by themselves. But, like, how many times do you just sit in a restaurant and the only conversation you have all day might be to the server, like, at the restaurant? Like, hey, what's the special? Oh, okay. And then yeah, they don't talk again for five hours. <laughs> if it's not a show day, and especially if you're not traveling with another comic, there's, yeah, there's sometimes where you have a conversation with the person at the desk of the hotel, maybe with your waitress or waiter. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And then a lot of TV. <laughs> yeah. God bless the Internet. Huh? And then uh, I uh, I was thinking the same thing about that. I go, like, the abnormal situations that we end up in. So eating alone is one, traveling alone, hours in airports, just hanging out, waiting, checking your phone, flights canceled. There's a lot of isolation with it. But I was thinking about this a little while ago. You're really painting a wonderful picture of our life. Oh, okay, kids, if you're looking to do stand-up, here's the uh, – Here's the, the final nail for you in terms of signing on the dotted line here. But uh, a lot of comedy clubs, some will put you up in a hotel, but some a lot of them put you up in these condos, right? Yeah. And so then you could just be put in a condo with someone for a week who you've never met, and now you're sharing a bathroom with and a kitchen with. Like, that's that's insane. When you yeah. think about that to, for a normal person. The closest thing that a normal person would experience to this is finding a roommate off of Craigslist and hoping <laughs> that they're not going to, you know either rape you or kill you in the middle of the night <laughs> exactly. for the first two weeks. Exactly. And then it's like, yeah, shows weren't great. It's like, yeah, I'm living with a stranger who I think might kill me in my sleep. So, yeah, it's kind of been bothering me. That's kind of been bothering me. Like, I've had to go to the airport to pick a guy up and then drive with that guy all weekend in a car. Like, I just meet him at the airport. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Trent. And then we just hope that we're going to get along for four days. That first 30 minutes is important <laughs> it tells you a it's lot so it's such a relief when you realize okay this guy is is sane at least yeah i check uh, i check like fingernails i check level of cleanliness i go okay all right this guy's a bit well kept all right good <laughs> if he needs me if there's something to do with money early in the first 30 minutes like i need to get to a thing i need to you're like oh, okay this is gonna be trouble yeah. right off the top you got issues you got needs i'm just seeing the surface right now <laughs> i've worked with guys who have very uh, well, just odd things that they're, like, hunting for. Well, like, we're stopping at pawn shops, and they're looking for weird right. things on the road, which is, you know, whatever. You collect whatever you collect. But, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I've been on the road for a couple of weeks with somebody sometimes, like, on a long tour, and it's like, dude, I don't want to be in another pawn shop looking for spoons or whatever the fuck you need. Yeah. You're like, are we married? Yeah. Like, why do I, like, let me guess. I know someone would like to see this pawn shop, and we just circle it. You're just like, it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I got to end this. This is horrible. Um, it is weird, but you learn a lot. I think you learn a lot about yourself, too, in those moments. Like, you realize what your buttons are and what you can't, can't tolerate. Like, yeah, you know? Yeah. I've had that, too, where I go, oh, I didn't realize I don't like death metal music on 100 for seven hours. 
Oh my god! But that's again reasons why stuff that people wouldn't know, like about the offstage life of a comedian, that it's not. There's certain challenges that you're going to have to overcome. I'm sure there's been moments where openers now because when you're when you're headlining well it's usually i just like to drive so that's i guess you kind of have in control of the radio when you're driving whether you're headlining or not but i'm sure there's been like 45 minutes into the drive where they're like oh we're listening to jazz i'm gonna fucking kill myself (laughs) (laughs) i like jazz when i'm driving it's nice and like like, relaxes me yeah and it's also a good background music jazz is a great call right you can talk over that if you need to you know for sure when you got just death metal at a hundred thousand beats per minute and you're like i don't are you angry? Is there something you want to tell me? Is you, how was your childhood? Good? Like, I just, I, I, all these flags are coming up for me. I'm just like, who has that much anger inside them that you need to listen to this? Uh, that's when you realize, yeah, maybe I'm not a big fan of death metal. And I didn't know until this four-day excursion with this stranger. Um, it's funny, too, when I was on my the drive here, I was thinking about your wedding ceremony at the Blackfoot Inn. Do you remember this all these years ago? Oh, before the, you were no, just going down. Before you were going down to L.A. The yeah, the uh, well, not wedding ceremony, but well, the, the uh, uh, reception. Uh, wedding, the thing. reception. Yeah, we had kind of a, a uh, <clears throat> local because my wife's from Calgary. Right, um, we're in Calgary right now. Um, Calgary, wife, Alberta, Canada. Guys. My wife's from here, and um, so we we got married in Mexico. Uh, long story short, got married in Mexico. We're moving to Los Angeles, but we had a reception in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what's funny is because I didn't know you real well. Like, we don't even met maybe a year prior. I remember you going, um, hey, man, we're having this thing. Reception, if you want to pop by, feel free. I remember thinking, like, I don't know if that guy really means it. I, don't, I think he just was just saying it kind of be nice. But I'm like, I'm, I'm going to show up, but I'm just going to see how I'm treated. And you're like, oh, hey. And I was like, oh. It was one of those moments where I felt like, you know, you feel accepted as a comedian. Like up to that point, you just felt like you're on the periphery of like, yeah. hey, these guys have been doing it longer, and I'm just the guy who sits at the other table. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I was like, it was like you and David Schrader, and everyone was like, hey, like I was the first time I remember feeling part of that, part of a bitter, bit of a bigger group. You know, yeah, you know, we yeah. Well, you're a good comedian, so usually we just we make the shitty ones feel bad. <laughs> you're just like, on the outside, it's validation. But it's funny because I think you know over the years when you just persevere and you push through enough, eventually you feel like you get accepted in certain regards. Like I've been in comedy festivals where you know you get to sit down at a table with someone like Mike Wilmot or Derek Edwards or someone. And, like, you're actually just able to sit at that table. And I don't say a whole lot, mind you, still. I just listen to them tell yeah. their road stories because I love them. Uh, but, like, I remember not feeling comfortable at that table. I remember being like, I, oh, I shouldn't be here. I don't have your experience or stories. And, and so, and now to be at a festival where you're sitting down, those guys are still holding court. But you're at that table and they know your name or they're just like, hey. Like, I'm like, that to me was a rite of passage almost. You know what yeah. I mean? I don't know if you can recall one for yourself where you're like, I, oh, my God, I'm doing this. Oh, for or- sure. There's, uh, you know, any festival, anywhere you go, even just doing clubs in, in you know, uh, new places. Um, often if you're just going to, like, do a guest spot or whatever, you show up. And uh, so many times you'll show up and you'll get sort of the... Um, this token courtesy yeah. where they're like oh you know how are you man whatever and they'll say hi but and you go on stage and kind of prove yourself like oh he's a real comedian <laughs> yeah. said that before. <laughs> oh you're a real comic because especially in los angeles where i was living for the last 10 years there's so many crazy people and so many like wannabe comics who are maybe an actor who has like five minutes of material because they want to get seen or whatever it is right there's just so much shit down there there's tons of amazing comedians too, but there's a lot of a lot of garbage. Um, so until you sh- show that you actually know what you're doing and got some chops, 
everybody just kind of keeps their arms length, which I totally understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've I've had those moments where you're like you feel that acceptance. It's cool. Yeah, I remember at the. Uh I guess it would have been before the laugh shop was the laugh shop and it was a yuck yucks back in the day. And I remember like all the amateurs, we would hang out in that far right hand corner, like a, by the bathrooms. That's where oh, they would do the right workshops out. and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the headliners would sit on the, at the other side of the club, like up on that higher level. And it was almost like a graduation ceremony when you got to walk from that corner all yeah. the way. And actually, you, like you would, I remember sitting down at the table and you would just wait for someone to tell you to leave, but you just kind of sit there and be like, <laughs> Is this okay for me to sit? Because I don't. I could go back over to the other quarter, but I remember that, and it wasn't a um, a hierarchy that anyone had told you. This is the way it is. It's just kind of how things were. Like you just knew that's where we sit, and the headliners sit on the other side, and you don't really go over there unless you are invited or you feel welcome. But yeah. that rite of passage, I remember that still. I forgot about that sort of nook. That that dirty amateur nook (laughs) you do these workshops where someone's like all right look around the room most of you won't be here in a year (laughs) are we going to be killed or no you just won't be doing comedy okay you should really specify what what you mean there i remember they did the when you're headlining the club they would have you do the workshops you're talking about Mm -hmm. and they would i think they paid you some kind of honorarium it was 50 bucks or 100 bucks yeah go talk talk to them for an hour hour and a half on like the tuesday or wednesday whatever the amateur night was I remember going to do it and you could like you could see I would you would see within about half an hour of talking to them and then having kind of some questions back and forth you could see who kind of understood what this job <laughs> entailed and some people who were like oh dude like you, you are, have no idea you're never going to get this <laughs> exactly yeah and I and then that night I would see some people go on stage and even if somebody didn't do well I could see that they understood again what they were attempting to do and they understood what the job yeah. needs and entails even if they didn't do well i'd be like they'll figure it out yeah and most of the time i would see that person again much improved you yeah know? and then the other people i would just uh, <laughs> you're like, never gonna do this ever again yeah. yeah well you're right you can see the seeds early in people whether the set went well or not because there is a certain something that you're going to need to have some of that's talent some of that's just the ability to understand how the business side of it works um and I, I only ever did one of those where I, I went to several as just a new comedian. Basically, what we're talking about is a headlining comedian would come through town and he would do an hour or she would do an hour workshop talking about the business. Now, sometimes they were just horrible road stories. But I remember one night we got a hammered in, in Moncton and we were just like, how does this have anything to do with comedy? Oh, you're going to need to learn this kid. Uh, you want to buy yourself a roast chicken at Safeway. You stretch that out and you get some of those cup of noodles. You can take the chicken bits off the off the carcass and put it into the cup of noodles and make it in a pot in your so coffee should I, pot. Should I just go buy rope with that and hang myself after I eat? eat coffee pot chicken noodle soup i've got a joke about rabbits can you give me some feedback about my rabbit joke no i can't help you with that but what i can tell you always steal the towels all right you're gonna need towels for your apartment we don't make a lot of money it's like i don't know if i want to be a comedian anymore this is what i thought it was gonna be but i remember when i i conducted one once i did one workshop and i remember thinking like i would hope that i would want i wanted to approach it so that people felt like they had a shot at least. Like they were like, oh, this guy enjoys what he does. And 
I was trying to get across the notion of like if you're just passionate about this, this is something that I don't know what your road is going to be. I have no way of knowing, but like coming from the right place of just enjoying the process of it, and it's a, and there's great things about it. It's a great job, career. But I remember trying. To, I remember some of these old grizzled headliners trying to scare you, like trying to make you go, yeah. like you can't handle this, like a boot camp type vibe almost. Yeah. I'm like, why is he doing this? I, I came here because I, I I I love it, like you know. So I always thought that was the approach I wanted to use, and I, I think I did, but. I, you know, I, and I, I had a similar experience. It wasn't at, at the, um, I think it was more not even a workshop, just hanging out with some of the old grizzled comics, and they would just tell you these horrible <laughs> stories. And, again, like you say, I don't know if it was them trying to scare off right. new competition or what it was. And, I, I, yeah, I've never understood, you know, I've never understood that. Like, I've never, people... A lot of people seem to, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but some people seem to have this idea that there is a finite amount of um, success yes. that can happen in this business. Your and success if, means I don't get success. Exactly. Yeah. And I've seen so many times, and, and don't get me wrong, I've had those pangs of jealousy when I've seen yep. other people do well, even even though I'm happy for them. Yes. There's, and that's just human nature. i got to be completely honest. There's times I've seen my friends on, like, you know... Uh, the Tonight Show. Lachlan was on The Tonight Show. Yeah. I was super happy for him because I love Lachlan. He's a great guy, great comedian, so well-deserved. Was I jealous? Goddamn right I was. Yeah, that's right. yeah you're like, I also would like to be, <laughs> I on, would the like to be on The Tonight <laughs> exactly, Show. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's just human nature. But I've never seen it as – I didn't think at any point that his success by being on that show would negate me from ever having a shot of being on that show <laughs> exactly. or whatever it is. You know, yeah. like him or anybody else you see having success. I, I've never understood that attitude of like – yeah, their success means mine can't happen. Exactly. There's only so much pie, and once the pie is gone, no one realizes there's another pie coming in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's more pie? Never mind. Okay, you enjoy your pie yeah. then. You I'm going to wait can, for the fresh pie. You can make a fucking pie. You can make your own pie, right? <laughs> what? What's he talking about? <laughs> I thought there was only one pie for the rest of our lives. That's just such insecurity, which I find, well, I mean, I think society as a, as a whole is riddled with it, but I think comedians in general, like, we have a certain baseline level of insecurity and anxiety oh, that God, for sure. constantly needs to be fed and it doesn't take much to stoke it? I think, you know, and if I think I was to like, you know, uh, armchair kind of uh, psychoanalyze human nature, I think that probably goes back to like the caveman days where it was like you had to hunt for food and it's like, oh, I got to get that rabbit before you get that rabbit right. or I'm not eating. You or know I, die. I mean? Like I think it probably has something to do with like deep, deep seated stuff like that. I, I don't know, but I think so. Well, I think we're ultimately pack animals, too, so we all want to feel accepted and we all want to feel like we're loved and whatever. Comedians might have that to a heightened level. Like they, they say, I know Barry Katz always says in his podcast that he feels every comedian and performer has a hole that was blown inside of them at some point in childhood, and now this is all just a quest to fill that hole. <laughs> it's like, it may not ever fill the hole, but it's like that's what you're trying to do, like yeah. get the, ex the approval and acceptance of strangers you've never met to somehow fill that hole that was put in you in emotional spackle exactly yeah <laughs> exactly yeah like it's kind of soft but it'll do for now like yeah. it's just it keeps, and it's, it keeps cracking it yeah. keeps cracking you know what every day i gotta put in some new stuff in there but it, it, it'll do until we get a new one and uh but i think there's some truth to that like uh i found when i first started i needed it far more i don't need it as much now just because i feel like i have more balance in my life like all my eggs aren't in the comedy success basket yeah 
Uh, whereas before, like, if I had a bad set, like, I was going to be in a bad mood for a week because that was my life. That was everything. That was my source of happiness and joy. And then I realized, like, that's probably not a healthy thing to do to have that many, that much emphasis on whether or not your new jokes went well in front of 12 people on a Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that was starting out my first six months to a year. I worked with various comedians, you know, a lot of different guys, and I saw a lot of different approaches to comedy and and just life in general and there was several guys i worked with where i kind of in my head thought i'm i'm just not going to be that guy at a certain point you know what i mean i just don't want to go down that road yeah. and, and be doing whatever this this <laughs> crappy gig is <laughs> i'm gonna be in cranbrook this weekend by the way um <laughs> Ah, Christ. What was I saying? Uh, I don't know. Here's some Kleenex. Um, uh, no, but I, I realized that I wanted, uh, you know, to get married. I wanted to have kids. I right. wanted to kind of um, make sure that my home life and my personal life had fulfillment for me as, as well as being on stage. Because I love doing comedy. It's, it's all I've ever wanted to do literally since I was a kid, since I was yep. like eight or nine years old. It's, I, I wrote myself a note when I was 15 that our teacher had us do, my drama teacher in high school, had us write ourselves and our future selves a note. My mom kept it. And just this last trip through Kelowna, uh, like a month ago, she's like, oh, I, I found this. And I had read it once in my, in my 20s, but I, it had been, it's been 20, I'm 45. It's been 20 years since I even looked at this thing. And I read through it again. I completely forgot everything that was in it. But a big part of it that struck me was I want to be a stand-up comedian. Wow. At 15, I, I you know. Wow. Yeah kind of a self-actualization where you kind of like they say if you put your goals down on paper they're more there's a bit greater chance you'll actually realize those goals if you just write them down and they're tangible in front of you yeah. and maybe you didn't know that at the time obviously you were a kid but wow that's pretty cool man yeah yeah pretty it, was, cool. it was uh it was neat to read well it's interesting too because when you say you looked at other comedians and kind of how they were living and how you saw a road you didn't want to go down i think i also did that pretty early in the game and realized oh there's choices to make within this racket and you were one of the first guys I looked and went, oh, look, there looks like a fairly well-adjusted guy who is married. Because up to that point, everyone told you, like, yeah, you're not going to be able to have a real relationship. You're not going to be able to have – and you just saw all these issues and problems people had. And you thought, well, I'm supposed to go down that road as opposed to – I started to see other people. You were one of the first ones. I went, no, but you, you can have happiness outside of this. You can actually have a balanced life and have a solid relationship and all those things. But you're fed otherwise up yeah. to a certain point. You don't know that you can do that. Yeah, and you have to. I mean, it's it like anything. You gotta, you know, as, as you know, you gotta work at it. Because yep. especially if you're, you know, I, I don't, I, I intentionally don't book myself to be gone for weeks upon weeks at a time because <laughs> I have, you know, the four kids. Yeah. Um, so I don't I personally don't want to be away from them. This is for my own emotional uh, health. I yep. don't want to be away from them i don't want them to have to experience me being gone that long and it's also just not fair to my wife for them right. to be gone that long yep and um and I, i've gone back to this line so many times uh describing my relationship with my wife uh and it's a bill hicks line about being in a relationship with a comedian and it's so telling and true is that it takes a very special woman to be with a comedian or a bunch of average ones <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's really good. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, and yeah. As, as soon as I heard it, I was like, "That is, it's either you're going to have a string of relationships where these women, and and rightfully so, are going to say, I, I don't need this bullshit. I'm not signing on for this in shit. And out, in and out of my life, in and out of my life, yeah. you know, gone, financially insta unstable yeah. uh, often. Um, yeah. You know, 
It's crazy. It's, it's, it's a difficult road. Yeah. And I give my wife full credit for, you know, she's traveled all over the place with me, hauling our kids, you know, yeah. with us now. Um, yeah. She, and she's she's never wavered. She's always, you know, first one to to uh, to lift me up when I've had a bad set, or you know, yeah. the first one to be like, no, you're a, you know, you're amazing. I think you're I think you're hilarious, and I think, you know, like she's. She's also the one to tell me if I if I write a joke and she's like ah that that's garbage and I'm like I, but you know you need that you yeah. need that, that sounding board and that and that sort of ch- uh, cheerleader in your life too yeah amazing she's an amazing woman yeah yeah no I've, I've met your wife and she is she is awesome I think you do need to find that right person who's buckling in for the ride like oh, we yeah. understand that again your life can change with an email like your life could literally go yeah we don't live here anymore like what do you mean i just got an email yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm proposing that we not live here anymore and live somewhere else it's like uh i guess like that's not normal life for no. most people no i i well you you're about to go to write to write on 22 minutes and, <laughs> yeah. and i ended up out there for a year because of i sent some writing in and then got uh, an email like you said, the same thing that's happening to you. And I, I ended up out there for in Halifax for a year <laughs> and then, you know, back to Los, Los Angeles to Halifax, Halifax to Los Angeles. And even L.A., we were I, I did a tour of, of um, England and uh, uh, really enjoyed it. This is before L.A. This is when I was still living in Vancouver. Really enjoyed it. Met some great people, had a bunch of offers for some some work. And then I came back and Natasha and I were dating at the time. Um, I said, do you want to go to England for a year? And there's, there's tours that go all through Europe. We can travel, hang out in Europe or whatever for a year because we had no kids at the time. Um, and I'll make money while we're doing it. Even if it was a break-even year. What yeah. an amazing year, right? Paid vacation, yeah, yeah. And then we were planning for that. And then I, I ended up getting booked to do the Aspen Festival for HBO. And while I was there, I got booked to be on Comedy Central. And because of that, I got my paperwork for the U.S. And I got a manager and agent. And I had all these meetings. Within a, a month or so, Everything changed to like, do you want to go to LA for a year? And she said, sure. And then we were there for ten years. I mean, <laughs> that's it, insane. That's insane. What, that's not a normal life. No plan, and none of that planned. We just ended up. No. Yeah, it's it's not normal at all. I've mentioned this a couple of times to a bunch of people. Um, that Steve Jobs quote. That Steve Jobs quote about uh, you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect the dots looking backward. Yeah. And I feel like a comedian's life is is the epitome of that. Where. You don't know that doing a guest spot on a Tuesday somewhere, you connect the dots, look back and go, oh, it all goes back to that Tuesday night that I met so-and-so at the thing. And it, it just blossomed into all these different things. And, like, you don't, again, you don't know when it's coming. It's t- totally unpredictable. And that's another thing I think that it's hard for people to accept, whether you're an actual comedian who's getting into it or you're someone who's married to a comedian. Like, that's a crazy life to think that, yeah, we don't know what next year looks like yet. We, we have an idea. But it could look very, very different than how we planned out. Like that's that's uh, that's not for everybody. Yeah, one hundred percent. I can track my entire life to this point back to one decision that I made. Wow. I we were doing the Vancouver Comedy Festival. We were doing a thing called the Glossy Awards, which was like oh, a, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a fun. Uh, it was like a live event where it was a fake award show, and yeah. we, we filmed clips of like what were supposed to be the the. the the movies that were up for awards, and it was all just silly fun. Brent Butt was involved, and yeah, um, Damon, Damon Schritter, Schritter yeah, it would be like a red carpet and stuff, and it was yeah, yeah it was so much fun. It was hilarious. Carter yeah. Horty, everybody, it was it was a ton of fun. Um, so we were getting things ready for that, and, and I was uh, prepping some some stage stuff, some some backdrop stage stuff that we were going to use in the live presentation of this, and um, uh, we had a showcase that was going on for 
um, Aspen. And there were several of us just doing various jobs trying to get this stuff ready. And I said, oh, I got to go do this showcase. And a couple other comics were like, oh, send him a tape. And I'm like, I, I, no, I feel like I want to be in front of these people. And, uh, and they're like, ah, just, you know, again, they were like, send him a tape. We got to finish this. I'm like, I'll come back right after, but I have to go do this. So I left. They were kind of angry at me, to be honest. Um, I left, went and did the showcase, came back, finished whatever we needed to, you know, did what we did. That showcase is where I got asked to come down to Los Angeles to showcase again. And because uh, of that showcase in Los Angeles, that's when I got picked to do Aspen. When I was in Aspen, I got to be on Comedy Central. I got a manager and agent in Los Angeles. I got my, my visa to go to the U.S. Yeah. If I had just said, yeah, I'll just send a tape, more than likely, it, as you know, being live in front of them is the best yep. chance you have to get, you yep. know, to get something. Because a tape, even if it's a great tape, lacks that magic. Yep, I agree. It's like going to see... Whether it's uh, Dave Chappelle live or whether it's Van Halen live, it's a little different than listening to the album. Definitely, definitely, you're right. But that, and that's the thing I think that all comics are looking for in general is that one breakthrough moment. But the thing about it is, you don't really know it's your breakthrough moment at the time. You're, you're just it's just another rung on the ladder that you think, well, this is just a, a normal thing that I should be doing, and this kind of moves me further towards my goals. But again, only looking backward can you go like, man, if you don't go do that showcase. How different does your life look? Like oh, in terms of the people that are in it, the career that you have, the life you have. Incredibly different. Uh, and and maybe it would be better. Maybe it would be. I have no idea. Yeah, that's the thing about it. But I can't, you know, can't dwell on that. Um, but yeah, I, and I didn't look at it as like, oh, I have to go to sh- do this showcase because this is the one. No. I just always, I always feel like, oh, if the opportunity's there, you got to jump. You know, you got to take the opportunity when they present themselves because you don't know when the next one's going to happen. Exactly. But that was one of. You know, two dozen showcases I've done over the years, and that right. just happened to be the one where I had I had the right set with the right crowd, with the right guy looking at me. Yeah, for it things works. to come together. It works you know? out. Well, I remember you and I years ago talking about again this balance thing in life, and you you had just moved down to L.A. and you were talking about how you kind of learned at one point to not sit around waiting by the phone all day for callbacks for auditions and to get this showcase. You're like, okay, I'm going to put my work in, but I'm also just going to enjoy. LA and living in a gr- in a great city and living in California and taking advantage of everything that it avails of, and it, it kind of speaks to what you just said. Like you kind of have to do the work and then forget about it because yeah. you don't know when it's going to come and it may not come. I and mean, this might not have been the doorway to whatever, but you just do your best in the moment and then you move on. And I think that's just an important lesson. Like I, I w- I'm trying to pass that on. Actually, that very story that you told me about uh, changing your mindset about LA uh, to other comedians to go, man, like. Don't stress about it. I remember doing, like, a, a Just for Loud showcase. And then, like, literally for the next two weeks, refreshing my inbox multiple times a day to see what <laughs> I It's like, oh, you silly, silly boy. You have no idea how yeah. this works. Because you can drive yourself mad. Oh, God, you know? yeah. yeah. I, I, I've heard people say before, like, oh, Los Angeles sucks. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's an awesome city. Like, the industry's endlessly frustrating. Yep. But that's not Los Angeles. That's Right. That happens to be where this stuff goes down but that's it i love la so much it's it's like one of the greatest cities in the world yeah and my Um, my my, uh, having gone down there a few more times now i feel like i've kind of adjusted to la a little bit where when i first went down there was just kind of you're in awe and you're in la la land and i'm kind of oh my god look at this it's sunset boulevard hollywood boulevard and i'm kind of taking it and you can get swept up with that whole desire to kind of i got to be on the hot stages and i want to i want to get an agent i want to get a manager and all those things and all those things are great 
But then after going down a few times, I realized like, oh my God, look at these farmer's markets and look at this access. I just drive out here and I'm in Malibu and look at this view from at the Pacific Coast and all those things. And you realize, yeah, there's people here who aren't making and breaking life on an audition or getting a set at a comedy club. Like they're actually just enjoying living in this city and taking in everything that it has to offer. You know? Oh, yeah. I, I have friends um, that are born and raised Angelinos and they kind of... You know, they take it all with a grain of salt. They kind of laugh at the, at the, because it's not like, you know, it's not like Sunset Boulevard and like the Hollywood sign. It's just like uh, that shitty sign up on the hill that's been there since <laughs> I was born. That's and, right, yeah. you know, Sunset, the goddamn traffic is a nightmare. And you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's just a street. It's just a street. It's a street in their hometown. Yeah. Um, and you kind of start to look at the city a different way after spending a bunch of time there where it's like the shine wears off in that glitz and glamour kind of way. But a whole new shine kind of rises up in that, like, this is my neighborhood, and this is the park I take my kids to, and this is the, this is the, the restaurant that I, uh, you know, I yeah. love to, you know, uh, bring my kids for, for brunch, or this is, this is where I found out my wife was pregnant with my third kid, or, you know, all that stuff, and it becomes a new kind of, like, shiny gem for you. It's, it's, a, great, yeah. it's a great way to kind of experience the city. Well, I think, too, L.A. has had to kind of, you know, try and battle with this stereotype of, like, there being no real people in L.A. Like, everybody wants something from you, and everyone's just trying to whatever. And, I'm, you know, there's a fast, there's an aspect of that there, obviously, for sure, but there's some real people. There's a guy who runs his corner store that you go to every day and you say good morning to. You go to the coffee shop, and there's a person who makes your coffee. There's just real people, but you need to be open to seeing that. And oh. that's wherever, wherever you live, really. But, yeah. you know, but I think you can quickly make a blanket statement about it's this and then it's just that for you forever yeah without kind of going hold on now this is also a human being who's just making your omelet every morning with love and care and it's like why can't you just appreciate that for what it is you know yeah um i really feel that because you see a lot with comedians where they say this city doesn't get me anymore i'm moving to city xyz whatever and they don't realize like it wasn't the city yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it was like you really got to kind of rewire your brain in terms of how you're looking at your career and your life, yeah. and then things will change for you. It's not the city like, well, I go here, things are going to be different. It's like, not if you have the same attitude you had at the old city. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 I mean, we all know guys that are just hardwired a certain way, and it's like, I mean, I don't know if I can blame them because maybe that's just they can't change their ways. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. But I've always tried to have sort of kind of a fluid approach to my career where it's like, is this working? Am I, uh, am I enjoying this? Am I enjoying yeah. w you know, what I'm doing? I'm loving being back in Canada. We've been back for, since July. And I've been loving just touring and, and being, you know, uh, doing all these cities and rooms that I haven't done in years. Um, and then having things like connecting with uh, Chris Gordon, uh, Calgary comic, yep. who you know very well. Yep. Um, funny guy. Yeah, really funny guy. Uh, I had an idea for a TV show, and he and I started developing it. We just pitched it at the Just for Laughs Northwest Festival. Yeah, it looks hilarious, um, by the way. I saw a little sneak. Uh, I saw a few of the photos and stuff, oh, too. It looks hilarious, yeah. Um, yeah, we're super excited about <laughs> the idea and that. And then we had a, a great uh, meeting. Well, he had. I was, on, I was in Calgary because I had some uh, work, uh, shows to do. But I was on FaceTime, so I was kind of in the room uh, technologically. And uh, it was a great pitch meeting. It was supposed to be like 20 minutes. It ended up being like an hour. They had wow. a bunch of questions. Awesome. They started talking about different scenarios and, and um, how different episodes could go and a whole bunch of stuff. So it, was, it, was, it, was, it felt good. Yeah. Um, and whether anything comes to that or not, again, 
I look at that as a positive experience because we had a good pitch. We got good feedback. We answered a bunch of questions that we maybe didn't know we were going to get asked. Right. So that just all leads us into the next because that wasn't our only avenue with it. You know, what I mean? right. we're going to other places we're going to be pitching it. Um, yeah. Um, but doing that sort of stuff is what keeps me kind of like I feel like I'm in the game. You know what I mean? I'm. Yeah. I'm still pushing forward you know yeah yeah well i think too you and i had this conversation years ago about that ability to when you start looking in your own when you start looking in the mirror and asking yourself some questions about your own work ethic um as opposed to kind of looking over the fence all the time and seeing what the other guy got and making excuses for why you don't have what you should have and why that person got what they got yeah it's a pretty miserable and dark place to live in yeah and when you have that realization of like oh wait now a lot of this is on me and i can do more that's a, it's a powerful moment. It's yeah. a moment when you can be a lot happier. I mean, I've, uh, I used uh, Seth Rogen as an example in the past, who I remember seeing him in the Vancouver scene when he was 15 years old when he started, and his mom brought him down to the, uh, to the club. And he was, you know, he was a brand-new comic, 15-year-old kid. Wow. And, uh, but like I was talking about before, you, you could see it. You could see that he got it, right? Like, he, he wasn't killing it. He wasn't, you know... He was just another amateur going up. But it was like he had that quality mainly because he was so young. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, was, he had the funny. He understood comedy. Yep. He understood how to, how to write a joke. Um, he didn't necessarily have the material yet, but he kind of got it. And the other thing that with him, when you're talking about, like, like um, uh, are you doing as much as you can? He wrote Superbad when he was 13. Wow. Um, wow. I, I did mean, not know that. Yeah. It got... Uh, you know, they obviously did some rewrites on it, but he wrote that fucking movie when he was 13 years old with um, Evan Goldberg. Uh, That's insane. Been friends since uh, since elementary school, but you know, there's somebody that saw a path that he wanted and was actively trying to make things happen, even in an age where he didn't know he didn't know what the hell he was going to do with that script when he wrote it. No, but he knew he wanted to make it, make movies. He knew he wanted to be, you know. People that want to do anything creative, if you just sit and go, well, if I did this, I would be great at it in your head, you know. Oh, if I, I know I'd, I could write a great TV show or I have this idea for a great – everybody has ideas. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. The difference is the execution. Write it down. Like, yeah. Writing, if you want to – I love writing. And I have, I have, I don't know, a dozen-something scripts at home in various levels of completion. Some are completely done. Right. Some have been sitting in my hard drive for, for a decade. Yeah. But, and I've, I've said this before too, when the time comes, if anybody wants to be a writer or they want to, you know, it depends on people want to be an actor with coming out of comedy, lots of comedians. I went to, I went to acting school because I thought maybe I want to, you know, once I, if my career moves forward, if I want to get into acting, I want to know how to act. Yep. So many comedians, and I, I've never understood it, where they want to either be a writer or they want to they do other things other than comedy. If you just want to be a comedian, great. It's, it's, I love comedy. But if you want to do something else, but you're not doing anything to pursue that, how do you expect that anything is going to come out of that? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's weird because I think the same thing that a- appeals to comedians in, in the terms of this lifestyle is the fact that you, you have freedom and you don't really have a boss is the same thing that can hold you back. Because if no one's asking you to improve your standards and to increase your work ethic and your minds and change your mindset, you don't have to. And so... Quite often, comedians don't. They're just like, well, that should just happen because I want it. It's like, you don't understand there's work behind that. And that the person who got it, actually, if you went backwards, they put in a ton of work. They failed a ton. And, yeah, now they're having this shining moment. 
but you, you're for, you're dismissing all the work, the training, the hours, prepping that got them to that point. You and I both know comedians who are who are naturally funnier than both of us. Yeah, that have gone nowhere. Yeah, because there's been no you know active um, pursuit of of opportunity or kind of like trying to develop anything outside of just being just being a funny comic which is it's quite honestly unless you're exceptional is it's just not enough yeah and it, even if you are exceptional if you're not if you're not taking the right steps if you're not trying to like it has to be that perfect storm you know mm -hmm. i totally agree i think you can do yourself a disservice by thinking that well I, i've done enough i this should be, you know, you, you put that equation in your head and you're like, well, I should be here. Well, you're not. So yeah. now what are you going to do about <laughs> yeah, it? Exactly. Like, well, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to blame the industry and blame my agent and blame my manager and uh, that make excuses why that person had success. And, again, you just sit in this darkness and it does nothing to move you forward. It, if anything, it moves you backward. And, um, like I said, you can take joy in the process of doing something. And maybe the script doesn't get bought or maybe you don't get the festival you want. But you're actually putting an effort in, and you're seeing progress within yourself and your own work, and there's joy in that, right? Because that's oh, anything yeah. you can control. Well, that's that's the other part of it too. And there's I and this isn't you know uh, this isn't me telling anybody else anything that I haven't struggled with myself because I've there's been plenty of I don't even want to say periods like there's been plenty of years where I've done next to nothing to advance my career other than just keep booking myself doing the same old shows and stuff. Right. Um, and it, this is something that I've learned over the years through my own trial and error. But, like you said, by writing those scripts, I go back to the early ones that I wrote, and structurally they're garbage, and, and the narrative is all over the place, and you know, it, the, so many technical things and so many just um, um, kind of basic storytelling things that I just didn't know or understand that I sort of learned by kind of trudging through the darkness and doing some research and then going back and like doing yep. rewrites and all that stuff. So even though those scripts probably are going to go nowhere, they were very important to like getting me forward, getting me to where I am. Those those were the shitty open mics. Yes, yeah, that I did. It's a good way to, to get it. myself to some paid spots. That's the thing about you have to, anything you have to start. Yeah. Like every comedian has to go on stage the first time, yeah. and and they have to bomb the first time, and have to go through all this shit. And it's like you don't just get to the gala. You don't just go. Oh, I want to be on TV. Well, here you go, and you walk out onto that yeah. stage. <laughs> But we somehow don't equate that then with other avenues of life. We kind of go, yeah, yeah, you forget the process that you took to be a comedian and then realize, yeah, you're going to have to do the same thing in another field to be proficient at that. Yes. Whether it's acting or writing, it's just like, no, no, I'm just going to write this one script and someone's going to buy it. It's like, is that how your comedy career works? You just walked on, just the first thing you did was amazing and you were a global superstar, right? It's, <laughs> well, it's not realistic. Funny. It was funny when so many comedians I saw on Facebook and that so many comedians were so angry that Madonna got... Uh, the stand-up spot on, I think it was the Tonight Show. Oh right, yes, it was Tonight yes, Show right, or Conan. Yes. I think yeah, it was yeah. Tonight Show. Yeah, um, <laughs> they were so angry, and I was like, "Dude, it's that it's, was your it, spot. It's, it's, that was your spot. It's Madonna, <laughs> and of course they're gonna let her because even if it doesn't, that was win-win no matter what happened. If, yeah. if it was horrendous, everybody's talking about it. If it was great, everybody's talking yeah, about it. Yeah. We're talking about it right now. And let me tell you what: if somebody said. If you wanted to be a singer and you thought, I'm a great singer, because she definitely thinks she was funny to want to do that. If you yeah. thought, I'm a great singer, and they said, great, 
we're going to have you open for Madonna in Madison Square Garden, you'd be like, holy shit, this is awesome. Let and me you, pay my dues first. Like, you would be like, no, I need to go down and I need to play some coffee shops in the village before Blues I do the club. garden, man. I can't. I can't take that away from a legitimate musician. It's like, right? You're like, uh-huh, when do I show up? Uh, well, it's funny because I've, you know, I've gone to auditions for commercials and stuff, and and I've got a handful of them, but there's a part of me that feels guilty. I'm like, I've put zero hours into acting. I've never <laughs> taken an acting class. And here's some actor who's like maybe taking a break from their day job. I'm like, this could be the break I need to get in with her. And I just show up like, yeah, I got to do a show somewhere later tonight. And you end up getting it. And yeah. I'm like, because I, I, what I find funny about that is that I think comedians will complain about actors taking stage time. And it's like, yes, but we also tiptoe into their field quite often and take some of their work. Yes. So it's kind of tit for tat kind of thing. You know what I mean? But you're right. Why Why would you think your path should just be golden and straight upward? There's a naivety to that. You and know? again, it's, it's show business. This is the fucking Hunger Games. Get out there and get yours. Because <laughs> exactly. it's like, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Well, that's... Uh, I don't know if it was Dylan Mandelson when we talked. He said uh, there's that belief that there's yeah there's the fame bus and there's only 18 seats on the fame bus and if you're not on that bus there's never another <laughs> bus coming. We're screwed. You missed the bus, so you're fighting and clawing to haul someone off else off the bus to to get so you can get that seat. And you realize once you relax a little bit, and I think I have learned to do that over time, is realize that. I just stay in my lane and do what I'm doing, and you just realize that there's a, a crowd, a demographic of people who are going to get what you do throughout the course of your life, and you just trust that and try and evolve and be the best you can, and yeah. that someone else's success doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to be successful, you know, or that crowd is not, because I know comics who, if, if you have that, that mindset, when the success, so-called success does come, you're not going to be happy with that either. That'll never be enough. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, there's also, and I'm sure this is just has something to do with, you know, being 45 years old and you're 44 yeah 44 44 yeah i mean there's, there's being at the point in your life where you start to realize like we're we've been very fortunate we've yeah. been very fortunate to make a career out of doing this for a living yeah and um you know now for me success when i started out success for me would have been you know my face on a on a billboard and um you know walking down the street and and, and chicks clawing at me and yeah. like you know what i mean and <laughs> yeah. oh you know bring those two onto the bus or whatever you know i'm doing i'm, I'm on tour now on it's a the, city uh, bus mind you yeah. it's just well, it's, uh, sure. just uh, it's all we can afford but uh, well, still. Show <laughs> that's right yeah. no no give them my bus pass good. yeah yeah take the transfer here um, actually that's yesterday's never mind <laughs> uh yeah yeah but your your, your idea of what success has changed drastically over the years i'm well, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, for me success now the success I strive for and the success I want, I, I, and I can say this honestly and legitimately, I don't care who knows my name. I can honestly say success for me would mean being able to make sure that my family's secure right. and that my children um, are not going to want in the future. And I don't mean that in the way like I need, I need $10 you know, million dollars for each of them where they can just coast the rest of their life. Right. I mean where it's like down the road where it's, you know, dad, my car broke down great let's bring it in and get it fixed and that's not a problem right dad i uh, i need you to co-sign for this house okay right. great no problem you i know can help I mean? you like, out where i where i can be in a position where i can um take care of everybody in a way that that feels good and right to me yeah. not in a way where i'm just handing everything to everybody i'm not gonna lie it'd be nice to be in a position <laughs> where, I, where i could do that but success for me would would feel much more like um a security in my in my in my core group in my family you know yeah what well, it's interesting you say that because i know there's some comedians out there who believe like you know that kids are kind of a hindrance to a stand-up comedy career but i remember louis ck saying in an interview once that he felt like once he had children 
he framed that in a way that meant, man, I can't, I can't mess around anymore. Like I gotta, I can't sit around waiting for shit to happen. I gotta make stuff happen in my comedy career because I got people depending on me. One hundred percent. Did that same thing happen for you? Where you felt it's not about me anymore. Like I got mouths to feed. Absolutely. Am I doing this or not? Absolutely. And and it's it's um, it's shaped my comedy in a way that that because I mean you've seen my act. I talk about my wife and kids for seventy percent of my show. Um, because that's my life right now. When I'm not on stage, that's almost all of my life is is with them, um, and it's shaped in an in a, and I feel like in a positive way where I have an act now that's not necessarily unique in that I talk about having kids, but it's it's unique in that um, my experience with them is 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 definitely shaping who I am as a comic and and bring me down a path where like I've, I'm in a year where corporates were. You know, terrible. In yes, this. I, I worked nonstop, and and a big part of that I think is the clips that that the booking agent sent out was all me talking about family and that, and that resonates with these people that have all these companies and that, and, and you that's know, that demographic. Of it's one hundred percent that demographic. Um, so for that, that's been good for me. But in the other sense, it definitely lit a fire under my ass, where it's like I'm I may have had this idea for a show that I'm you know developed with with uh, Chris. Uh, and then just kind of maybe jot a couple ideas down, maybe Photoshop a poster for it or something. Yeah. Oh, look at this! This look at all the work I'm doing. This would be so cool. But yeah. no, now I and and that's the time I spent in Los Angeles has been uh, formative, also because being around other people that have actually made these things happen and working with on various things with people that have that have been down this road, I've kind of seen what it takes to like put a package together and kind of make these yeah. things uh, happen. Yeah. Because if you don't have all your ducks in a row and everything um, and and able to answer all the questions that they have, they're not going to have any confidence that you know what the hell you're doing. No. It's, it's an easy way to weed you out kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think it's a good point you brought up too is like I think we're, we're really guilty of this. Anybody who's considered a dreamer per se where it's kind of you sit around and have all these grandiose ideas and I, I think people sometimes forget or negate just the the need for physical force that your ideas in your head and scrapped on a piece of paper are great good for you you got a little spark there but it's going to take physical force to make this shit happen like and and that's where that work comes in that grind mentality that a lot of people in the entertainment world to a certain degree don't want to acknowledge it's kind of like well now i just do stuff when i want it's like no 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 it's not about just doing it when you want to do it it's like you're gonna have to get up tomorrow and write that thing because it's due Friday. And there's no extension. Other people are relying on it. That's a tough transition for a lot of people who are comedians because yeah. they're so used to just doing it when I'm in the mood and I feel like it now. 22 minutes is a good... Yeah, like, it, it is. My first stint there was the same thing. Like, oh, you need me here every day. Every day. And you got to... You, here's the quota we need from you. Yeah. You know, 60, 60, 70. Bang them out. Bang them out. Get them yeah. done. Yeah. And, and then, you know, sketches. We need five sketches. It's still five sketches that they need? Yeah. Five sketches yeah. and like 70-something. It's a lot of work. It is. It's, yeah. And, it, and you're right, because my, my first stint there, I kind of looked at my own career, and I go like, do I put a one one-hundredth of the same effort into my own stand-up <laughs> as these people do on a day-to-day basis, cranking this show out? And you realize, oh, this is what it takes. This is what it's going to, because talent is just a base level. That's just, we're all coming in with a certain level of talent. Yeah. Now what's going to separate you? Like, and I think the most successful people I've been around, uh, I've been pretty fortunate to, to, you know, spend some time with like guys like Shama Jundar and Jerry D. 
those guys work really, really hard. Yeah. Like it's it's always on to the next project. It's like all in on everything. You got a bunch of balls in the air at the same time. There isn't just kind of resting on your laurels because I did this thing once, and now we just hang our hat on that. It's like no, no, we go on to the next thing, and it's work. It, it's 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 people don't want to believe it, but it's it really is work. It's not digging a ditch work, but it's it is work and effort, and you're tired at the end of the day. Yeah, you know. But having a sneak peek behind that curtain, that was really beneficial to me. Like, oh, to me see too. That, you yeah. know. 100%. It's, it, that taught me, um, that experience uh, taught me how to, like, buckle down quickly. Yeah. Because, like you said, it's easy to kind of, like, ah, uh, you go on Facebook and you're kind of like, oh, let me check the, the sports scores and, you know. Yeah. It, for example, I had a, um, I wrote a, uh, a TV show in uh, Los Angeles that I was pitching the uh, prison comedy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we shot a uh, what they call a sizzle reel for it, yep. which is basically a mini trailer of the TV series. Um, pitched it around, had some different people interested. Um, Jamie Kennedy's production company eventually came on board. Uh, we pitched uh, to a, a network there and and came very close to having it sold. Uh, it all you know kind of fell apart. Whatever. What ended up happening was the president of his company. Um, liked my writing and asked me to write some other stuff for him and he had this idea for this uh, this other sitcom I went home and sent him back a first draft in two days which boom turn around right away yeah, didn't I, sit around no, marinate about it around. like get it done I was like I went from zero to finished script first draft granted but mm-hmm. zero to finished script in two days which is if you've ever written before that's extremely fast yeah that's extremely fast but i got home and i told my wife i'm like i need to show this guy that i deliver fast and that i can get it done um you know on yep. target or even and because even when i sent it to him he was surprised that i sent it to him that quickly yeah it's like what? um but i attribute uh, a lot of that to not what, what, what 22 minutes taught me was to not second guess myself so much yes you know what I mean? Just put it out there in the world and see what happens. Put it out yeah, there. You're, you know, you can edit. You can always edit. Yes. Just put it out there. Get it done. Get it down. Put it out there. Yeah. And uh, and I've taken that with me from from that point on to like, because so many times I would have these jokes that I labored over writing for that show and I thought were great that wouldn't get in. And then the ones were, because they kind of give you, it's like, <laughs> it's like a time limit thing where they're like, okay, you have to hand it in. And I would have usually a dozen at least half-written jokes. Yeah. And I would just go through them and, like, just finish them with whatever was in my yeah, head. Exactly. And I swear to God, at least two of those would get in to the show <laughs> for whatever random thoughts were coming out of my head. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be like, this is so stupid. This, like, this joke is so stupid. And I would hand it in. Boom. Yeah. Kills the room. Love it. No one else is going in that direction. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Well, that's the thing, too. You can't, you know, when you're in a, when you in the job of creativity, I guess, is what we're in. You can't predict what's going to stick out there. Like you, you, you can labor over something for hours and months and years and throw it in the world and it does nothing. You could have a thought in the shower and you say that and all of a sudden it's, it's the, your joke that you're known for. Like, how, yeah, how many times no have you had a joke crush where you thought it was an, it was an afterthought? Yeah, this it was is a dumb. It wasn't even the joke. <laughs> you hadn't even gone to the punchline yet, and yeah. that part crush, and you end up dropping what you thought was this brilliant punchline. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, I guess it's, it's a point too of getting out of your own way that yeah. is hard for people to do in general. I think 
I know we at comedians we suffer from it a lot where you just go like no I can make this better and if I just have more time it's like no no you need to not spend more time with this and sometimes creative creative creativity is better founded in a framework with a time limit I never believed that before but I thought like well the more time the better it'll be it's like no no sometimes under the gun in those moments you're forced to kind of pull from areas you wouldn't normally pull for because you because you you have to yeah but when you don't have a boss you don't have to do any of that man you can just sit around and go i got this idea one these how many times have you seen that where comics sit around drinking beers after shows me and you should write a thing dave we'd be hilarious Uh, did you call me the next day did i call you it's like no you just it's beer talk and uh you know i called you didn't call me back actually so yeah, I gotta be honest. I didn't really believe in it, but uh, <laughs> but that's the difference in the guys and girls who make it. I find is that they're actually gonna get up the next day and open that laptop or do the research that needs to be done, and they're gonna give it a life and yeah. give it a momentum, and it's gonna it's gonna actually start putting the building blocks in place. There's no substitute for that. There there isn't. And and when you see when you watch Louis C.K.'s special, when you watch Chris Rock's special, when you watch Dave Chappelle's special, it doesn't say when it says written by. There's not a big list of right. comedians. It says their name at yep. the end. And that's that's the the purity of of stand up comedy yep. is occasionally you'll have like Pryor had um, Paul Mooney, Mooney yeah uh, you know help with but even that that that's that's unusual even yeah. that's unusual and these guys who are putting out these these volumes of material um, they're putting the work in you know yeah they're they're digging there's no doubt about it and when you see guys like I watched uh, Jim Gaffigan's last special on Netflix. And I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed in it. I thought it was, I thought it was a little soft. Right. And then I started thinking about what his past couple of years have been. He's doing the Jim Gaffigan show, and he's doing all, the, you know, he's doing these things where before he was straight up stand-up stand comedy, up, yeah. hitting the stage every night. And once he started, he's, you know, and that's where I give Louis full credit for. It's incredible to me that he writes, directs, and stars in, and edits that goddamn show and still puts out an hour of material how lazy are the rest of us i know what are you doing yeah what am i doing what are we doing it's not like he's putting out he's it's not like he's putting out you know drivel okay drivel he's he's not he's not softballing yeah he's he's putting out crushing material yeah yearly on top of writing that show and i mean that shows that that it's you know it's it's completely possible and granted, he's a massive talent. Yes. He's a massive talent. But that does not negate the amount of effort that he puts in. No, I totally agree. And you realize, too, for those guys who've had a certain level of success, whether it's CK or Gaffigan, you're also being measured against your past success. Yeah. So it's not like you're the new kid on the block and everyone's like, oh, my God, that was amazing. It's like, well, I like your other four specials better. Well, like, that, you know that, what I mean? You've, you've got to top what you've already done. That's that, a pressure, too. That was the thing. And then when I watched the Gaffigan special, I was measuring him because I love Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, love, hilarious. I love his stuff. And I was measuring that this latest special against his previous stuff. Yeah. And, and for me, it was, it was not as strong as, which doesn't mean that it's a no. garbage special yeah he would he would go into any club in in, in the country and crush with that oh there's no doubt about hour. it yeah um but you know you, you set you set a bar for yourself it's like anybody bill burr um yeah you know uh, gaffigan um chris rocks Stan, the world stanhope uh stanhope's one of my uh uh n- newer favorites I, I enjoyed his stuff before but his last couple of things i saw him put out just just slayed me. He's, well, he's really kind of coming into his own, I think. Yeah, um, and I think too. Sometimes, you know, as you get older too, you kind of relate to a different kind of music or a different kind of comedy more so. Yeah. Like I didn't get I didn't get certain comedians before when I was a little bit younger because I never had that 
I didn't have that reference point. Yeah. And then as I got older, I'm like, ah, that kind of makes sense to me and it kind of relates to you. That you was know? prior for me because I loved Eddie Murphy when I was young. So obviously I, that led me to Richard Pryor and I watched Pryor. And I, th- I thought it was, you know, it was good. But I was like, oh, he's just swearing a lot. And, you know, yeah, yeah. now now I, I watch it and he's got, you know, I understand those. He's got that deep, deep life experiences that he's and and, and uh, the rich characters that he's painting. And yeah, just this he, fertile soil of oh life that he's been. Yeah. And after you've been, you know, rib kicked by life a, a few times, you kind of have a better appreciation for somebody who's gone through what he went through, which was just incredible. Yeah. I think, too, I can watch stand-up now and appreciate it's not even the jokes as much as it is just the vulnerability of topic Yeah, where I go, wow, to even go down that road is you're really putting yourself out there because that can go horribly wrong. Oh, he was the king of that. I mean, yeah. he was just a raw nerve. I'm going to make you squirm in your seat, but I trust that I'm going to get to the funny and we're going to get there and I'm going to take you all with me. Yeah, It's one of the things I love about Burr right now is that just ridiculous statement off the top that just kind of straightens everybody up and then yeah. he's going to like comedically prove this almost like a lawyer like give me a second and then it's like here's evidence a and then by the end of the bit you're all crying laughing going but i wouldn't have never got that after that first statement i was like what is he talking about like that's there's a real level of a high talent but also just a a trust in process that i will get there and i'm going to take you there and you're going to see what i see by the time i'm finished this bit yeah you're like i admire that now more than ever as a comic whereas before i just looked at it as just it's funny or it's not funny now you look at the tactical risks they may be taking and i go would i take those same risks yeah. do i do the same things you know yeah and the, yeah the, the craftsmanship kind of the journey that he takes the audience on and it's it's a real and he's he's amazing at it i i hosted for him in los angeles before at the improv um, this was years ago, and he was he was a name then, but not nearly to the level that he is now. Um, and it was interesting for me to watch him, and he had a great set. It was interesting for me to watch him and chat with him uh, a little bit afterwards. Um, and he just, like we so many of us do, he was just beating himself up over his, ah, this was shit, and that was, and he was just like, he was analyzing, and he was in his own head analyzing his own. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure he probably still does that, and that's how you get to that, like, high, high level. You don't go... You know, because the audience loved it. Yeah. He came off and was immediately like, I fucked this up. I fucked this up. Yeah. And immediately started analyzing and like trying to, in his head, correct what needed to be corrected. You know, anybody watching would have been like, that was amazing. Yeah. But uh, it was it was interesting to see somebody that skilled still questioning and pushing and pushing himself. Yeah, I agree, too. I think. I think the best comics are the ones that don't want to hear the laughter at all. They only hear the other parts. Yeah. They just hear the bit that didn't work well or that transition that was a little sloppy or they kind of fumble a few words. They think about that for the next day. Like, yeah. that's just a problem. Whereas I think comics who don't have that standard, they just go, yeah, that kind of got a reaction. You know, like they're pumping their tires on that. That yeah. got a, a little chuckle. It's like, yeah, but are you going for little chuckles or are you, what's the goal out there? And I think the greats... Their standard is just higher. That's why the product is of better quality because yeah. the standard is higher. That Damon Schroeder calls it. Uh, Damon Schroeder calls it tin ears. Whether they come off and uh, he's like, ah, I crushed. He's like, yeah, he's got tin ears. He <laughs> <laughs> tin ears. That's tin hilarious. Ears, yeah, old tin ears. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, because we've all been around comics who come off and they're they're just and great. It's great to feel good after a show. But some people think that they destroyed the room. Where it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody destroy. If you think that was destroying. Well, I, I brought this up to other comics. I've talked to people about this. And I say, when you see someone who didn't do well on a set and they come off and say they killed, do they know they didn't kill and they're just lying to your face because they want to kind of save face? Meanwhile, you know because you were in the room and you know? 
or do they really believe that they killed? And people go one of two ways. They go, no, I think they actually know that it didn't go well, but they're just trying to save face. And others go, no, I think they really do believe that that was killing. You know, so yeah. if your ears don't work, there's not much hope. Like if you're a musician and you can't hear what's coming back to you through the amp, you have no idea what you're playing. Yeah. You're just like, does this sound good? Like you have no <laughs> idea. People are like, is it, is it even tuned? Like, and as a comedian, you have to hear what's coming back to you and be honest with that. Yeah. It can't be just, mm, it sounded like this, but I'll tell everyone it was this. It's like, you can't lie because it's right there. Everyone heard it, you know? There's yeah. no alternative facts with regards yeah. to it. Yeah, and I, I'm... Personally, I, I end up, I'm so much in my head when I'm on stage, and I, I try, and this is something I struggle with. I try to be more in the moment. Yeah. Um, because I feel like that's the best comedy when you feel like it's fluid and you're, you're present. It's, it's reactive and present, and, and I struggle with that because I'm, I, I'm constantly thinking about the next, uh, the next sort of shuffle, the next, the next bit, the next, and yep. as you need to be doing, but. I, I want to do it in a way that it has a more natural flow to it, and I struggle with, with trying not to be too um, uh, contrived or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I don't know, pre-planned. Like, just trying to be yeah. more, more present. Um, and it's hard. It's a, it's a challenge. That's, for me, one of the biggest challenges on stage oh, is, to, is to try and be fluid. Well, that's the amazing thing about it. I mean, I've been doing stand-up now 13 years, 13 and a half. How many years for you now? 22. 22. Yeah. And the journey continues. Like, you're still up on stage trying to figure shit out. Oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah. how you're trying to say things, who you are on stage. And then I look back to where I was, say, three, four years and how I thought I had the world figured out and how, oh, comedy's this. And you realize, like, I didn't know anything at all. Like, I really didn't. The, the ignorance, uh, the blissful ignorance was, uh, yeah. was glorious for a few years where I thought I knew everything. And, uh, and, and the, the crowds were never louder. Yeah, that's right. Um, in my head. Yeah, that's um, right. They were rattling. Every joke was a standing ovation, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now it's like, it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a din. Yeah. It's just a, uh, I, I can, I'm, I'm so trying to like keep everything, uh, crafted in my head and keep everything like um, just trying to be like I said more present and, and just skillful at what I do yeah well yeah. also too I think it's like you talk about standards like standards um, standards uh, change too for us as comedians so like I think the laugh that I would have thought was a big laugh say seven years ago I might not think it's as big a laugh right now I might go like okay yeah but that wasn't so you also change as a person and your standards change yeah and therefore what your your history is always changing too as a result because when you look back on it you feel differently about it than you did when you were living it in the moment if that makes any sense you know we're like, like we're like comedic porno actresses who have just been pounded <laughs> over the years and it's just that it takes, wasn't my greatest work it takes uh, a real John Holmes of an audience to John Holmes of an audience. <laughs> Only certain people out there are going to get that reference, and hats off to you. Yes, you, uh, if you're uh, clearly after this, you're going to do something else with your laptop. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> hurry up, I got a date with it. So uh, uh, I'll leave you on this last thing. I posed this question to one other person. This is a question asked to me at a job interview once that I thought was a really interesting question. The question is, what is a miss? Um, misperception that people have about you and what is the reality the misperception that people have about me and what is the reality 
I think one of the biggest misperceptions people have about me probably, and this is, I think, more so for my friends that are not comedians, um, is that I, I'm this success in that I, I was in Los Angeles for 10 years and, you know, they, they would see me occasionally here and there on, they would hear me on the radio or, or see me on a little TV thing here or there or something on the internet. And I would get emails from friends and they just, they think, they would think <laughs> uh, that I'm this like, not that I'm a big star, but I'm that, that I'm this, this, you know, super successful comedian down there. And it is a grind down there. And it's like, I've, you know, I have four kids. I've done whatever I needed to do to put food on the table. I delivered sandwiches to offices uh, at eight o'clock in the morning. I've, um, you know, uh, swept floors and, and hustled, uh, delivered food and whatever, whatever it needed to, whatever needed yep. to happen where it's like, oh, it's light this month. We got to go. I got to go make money and I got to get it done. Yeah. And I figured out different things. I, Damon Schritter um, and another comic. Uh, Damon Schritter uh, and uh, an, another friend of ours had a boat that we were renting out in Los Angeles, which yeah. uh, Trent uh, yeah. got yeah. to see. I wish we had time for that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another time. That's another, another time. That's but another but we, had time. A, we had a boat that we bought for, at, a, at a good price, um, but we rented it out. And, and it sounds like an extravagant thing to have, but it actually made us money every month. Right. So there was a hustle with that. And then I bought a trailer that I kept in our, our, our backyard that I rented out on Airbnb, and that brought money. So it's just this constant, like, and I think that's the biggest misperception that people may have of me uh, that maybe I grew up with in that, that think that, oh, he's in Los Angeles, he's doing comedy, Dave's made it. And it's right. like that, that grind and that hustle never... Uh, kind of never ends. I don't think it. I don't think it ever really ends. No, you're you right. Know? It's so true because I remember when I looked at comedians when I first started, and I thought if a guy was on television, he must be rich. Yeah, that guy's on TV. Like, oh my God, that we're talking millions of dollars, and then it happens to you, and you realize that guy was that guy is where I am now. That guy that I thought was on the king of the hill, that's me now, and I haven't made it at all. I still am struggling every day, like to so. You're right. Like the outside perception, quite often, is very different than what it's like on the inside. I'll I'll end I'll end with this, and and this is this is in a nutshell, what LA is. I filmed right before I left for Los Angeles. I filmed my national TV special, Comedy Now, hour-long TV special on CTV in Canada. Um, went down to Los Angeles very shortly afterwards. I was in uh, a restaurant where my wife and I. Both had gotten jobs through another comic, Christina Walkinshaw. She hooked us up with some jobs because it's just tough to make money down there, right? So we were both working at this place, and I was standing in the server station cleaning salt shakers. I looked at my watch, and I looked at my wife, and I said, my national TV special's airing right now. And I went back to cleaning salt shakers. <laughs> oh, man. It's Los just... Angeles in a nutshell. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, brother, uh, continued success. Thanks for doing this. I know it was kind of weird circumstances to be at a Denny's at uh, 8.30 a.m. Yeah, i got to go back. My shift's starting in about five minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we met here. <laughs> all right, buddy. Take care. Continue right, success. Man. Cheers, brother. Thank Bye-bye. That's how it all started Like a whisper in your ear You told them you loved them And ran as fast as you could not to be taken lightly Then you never were Your fingers bleeding Your body aches 
from the thunder in your heart. So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier. Knew just what you were. Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked. Like a good little soldier, knew just what you were. Can you?